When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey, it's Joel L. Conan. Save the date for August 21st for the pre-market prep introduction to professional trading special. Featuring myself, Dennis, and Rob Friesen of Bright Trading, we'll spend three hours discussing how to become a professional trader. The pros and cons of different order types, the best brokers to use, and how we prepare for our trading day, and much more. Go to premarketprep.com to register today. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Premarket Prep. Good morning, good morning, good morning, everybody. Welcome to today's edition of Benzinga's Premarket Prep. Spencer Israel, Joel Khan, and Dennis Dick. This morning, we got a lot of earnings to talk about. We're going to talk hood. Obviously, we're going to talk about hood. Duh. Um, and we'll take some questions from our chat. Two guests today. First guest at 8.35, CC Lagator from Options AI. He uh, is, is great. Frankly, he's great. He, he has a very good way of looking at the options market. And he's, he always comes fresh with ideas for us uh, on the long side and the short side. So we're looking forward to CC at 8.35. And at 9, I'll be joined by a new guest. Cormac Kinney, he's the CEO of Diamond Standard, and here is what that company is about in five words. You ready? Diamond futures on the blockchain. Yeah. Sound interesting? Yeah, I'm intrigued. That'll be at 9 o'clock. So, in the meantime, smash the like. Reminder, premarketprep.com. Check out the link there to learn more about the three-hour How to Be a Professional Trader event coming up in, I guess, like, Three weeks, less than three weeks now, guys. Right, less than three weeks. Uh, all that being said, I'll bring I'll bring Joel's charts on here. And Joel, how are we doing in the markets this morning? Uh, good morning, Spencer. Uh, we're slipping a little bit here. Uh, pre-market high, right there at your close, forty-four fifteen. But your all-time closing high price as well. Uh, prior one was fourteen a quarter, so just a little resistance there at that level. Pre-market low, oh five and a quarter. Looks like that's about to go bye bye here in a few minutes. We're currently trading forty four oh six. Crude down a buck twenty one at sixty nine thirty four. Uh, gold getting off the mat here, up nine ten, trying to get through that. Uh, 1840 resistance area. That's at 1823.40. Silver knocking on the door at 26. It's up 30 cents at 25.88. Bitcoin quiet up $300 at 38.265. 
Ethereum, that's up $43, $25, in the NFT currency. Good morning, Triple D. We wow. have some earnings. I guess we got to start with the hood. Well, it didn't have earnings, but no, <laughs> it just goes. So we're going to stay away from earnings, but we do have to start with the hood. Uh, I don't even know what to say. It's now meme stock, so everybody's talking about it. We know when these things get hot, they can just go. We know when stocks are making new all-time highs, you absolutely cannot be short them. It took out that 38 resistance and did not look back yesterday right off the open, straight up another 10 bucks, straight up another 8 bucks after hours. Incredible movement with Robinhood here, H-O-O-D. I don't even know if I guess I did. I, I day traded it once. I had I actually lost fifteen cents. I think so. I've traded it once, small day trade in it, but I have not really participated in this move whatsoever. Guess I should have been playing it through the thirty-eight breakout. So there, there are a couple uh, websites that I mentioned before that I use to sort of track. You know, rather than having to go to Reddit myself and wade through all that mess, that these websites will sort of scrape Reddit. Uh, and let, let me show you this right now. This is from Swaggy Stocks. Okay, yeah, that one on the left right there. That that sticks out like a sore thumb, yeah. That's hood, right? So this is yeah. this is ticker mentions, right, yeah. on Wall Street bets, and this is from QuiverQuant. Okay, again, big one on the left. So what's that? That's hood, right? It's <laughs> it's enormous. Dom- yeah. Dominating mentions uh, here in the last couple. It's days. the social media stock of all social media stocks right now. You've got Kramer tweeting about it nonstop. This nonstop morning. Kramer pumping non- it nonstop, and and so and here's my. He just tweeted eight minutes ago. Do they want 60 for HUD? I mean, nobody's more influential than Kramer. And now he's, you know, like, you know, and obviously some of it's sarcasm, some of it's not. But he's, uh, you know, he's he's been pumping this thing for two days, really. And here's my theory is how many stocks can you say all time high and also $50 in the same sentence, right? Like obviously there are a lot, right? But like of like the big stocks that people that, that are that are thick and have heavy volume and tight spreads and widely traded, not many. There are not many stocks of this size with an all-time high of fifty dollars, right? As opposed to like five hundred dollars or five thousand dollars, right? It's affordable. It's affordable. That's that's my that's my. I, I just think it's you know a stock that was talked about. Robinhood has talked about. You know, in social media before, it was a stock forever. You know, not in a, in a loving sense either. A lot of people giving it hate. But we know when they start talking about it, social media, and people are getting involved. And obviously, you know, stocks making new all-time highs. When stocks start making new all-time highs, those are the best stocks to own. They really are. I mean, you can look at AMD, but this is AMD on steroids. AMD is up every single day. We're down. AMD is up. We're down yesterday in the morning. AMD is trying to go green. I mean, your leaders lead. Hood right now is leading all social media stocks. I don't know when it turns around. I don't know if Kramer's right. It's going to go to 60. It could go anywhere. You know, at this point in time, at least, you know, if you're buying it through the 38 breakout, you kind of have some levels. There's nothing now. There's no levels. There's nothing to lean on. It's all air. The thing can whipsaw as much as it wants. So, you know, it's not for me. This type of trading is not for me. If you're watching this show, try to make 100% one day. You're watching the wrong show. We try to teach traders, you know, how to fish for a, a living. You know, base hits is more of my style as opposed to home runs. But, I mean, this stock is really hot right now. 
A couple things, too. I mean, you mentioned, actually, Dennis, you've been the level guy on this thing. You mentioned when it came down to the pri- uh, the previous day's low. Uh, that yeah, was, I tweeted uh, it out. Yeah. Right? I tweeted it out at 33, when it was 33.35, the low. And that day when I was trading at 33.35, I'm like, here's the test. Here's the test. I tweeted it out. And somebody, I was saying, this is the level. And then somebody tweeted at me, what are you talking about? There is no level. But it's only been trading for one day. And I was like, yeah, so there's only one level. It's the previous day's low. It's the level of all levels. What did it do? It made the double bottom. 33, yeah. 35, 33 and a quarter. So it's tough, though. I mean, it did take it out. It's tough. And, you know, now the stock just turns around on a dime. It's not stopped going up for three straight days. So there, you know, levels, again, those little double bottoms, Joel, those are the reversals. You know, those work. Something you taught me 25 years ago. Um, just looking, you know, for two consecutive lows or two consecutive highs. That's often the times where you can control your risk very well. And a stock doesn't make a new low on the move. All of a sudden, people start saying, whoa, okay, well, maybe we're going to, you know, and I got something to lean on here now. So it's interesting, Joel. I mean, this is uh, another, this is, this has been the most incredible move, though, in two days for an IPO stock in a long time. Like one that's hyped as much as HOOD. And, uh, I mean, you had two closes in the same area, too, um, from the first two days, 34.85 and then 35.15. And uh, your low on your third day uh, was just above that, so protecting the close. Uh, Also, you said 38 was the IPO pricing. Uh, That held up yesterday. So just when it took through, when it went through that, caught momentum. And then uh, also you have, uh, you know, the, the, the traders that like to play th- uh, play something through the IPO high, right? That's yeah. a common yeah. – so 40 and a quarter, that brought more buyers. Uh, not going to attempt to pick a top in this. 55 even is just what you traded. That's right on the pre-market high. Uh, just, you know, keep an eye on, you know, where we're at it uh, – you know, 929 and 59 seconds. Huge volume, just printed 5537. Uh, huge volume, too. So uh, the hood uh, on the move today. No targets, no nothing. What, what, can, what can you say? And Dennis, you talk about keeping technical analysis simple. Boy, you can't keep it any more simple than that. And Nola Trader mentioning that the stock has become optionable today. If you are trading Robinhood, remember August 30th. I know it's a while away, but that is when the lockup expires for all the people, all the Robinhood users that got shares at the IPO. So just have that in the back of your What's mind. What's the date on that one? August 30th. Just August 30th. Have, I know it's a ways away, but, but have it in the back of your a mind. A lot of people are excited to be selling into that. Maybe. 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 That's um, a long ways away. It is a way. So people, way. people asking me. I do have a cold. Yes, my my entire family got sick a week ago. My wife. I think I talked about this. We went away camping. Come back from camping a week ago. Wife gets sick. It's a flu bug. Cold. Both kids, the four year old and six year old, both get sick for whatever reason. I fought it off for an entire week. I did not get sick. Now a full week later, now I'm getting sick, and you know it's the same cold. And I haven't seen anybody else. So, um, you know, my body's immune system fought for a week, and now I get hit a week later. I wish I would have just got it when everybody else got it, but no, it appears that I'm now getting sick now a week later. So, yeah, kind so, of 
kind of so, grumpy because yeah. I'm not feeling well. It's so interesting because, like, remember, like, you know, years ago, pre-COVID, obviously, right? Years ago, like, Dennis, you always had a cold. Cause I know. I know. I was just thinking that. Ex- kids was, always had a cold because their kids were bringing it home from school. Right. Yeah. I, I was just, yeah, I was just, I was just thinking about that. Uh, the other thing too, that you gotta be, I mean, they're, they're like, look at GME. I mean, who want, you know, no holding in your GME here. Look at that. Uh, well, look at, look, yeah, it actually had an interesting move. A lot of people talking about that move being manipulative yesterday at the close because the volume uh, basically doubled in the last five minutes, but it was getting added to the S and P 400, which uh, took place today. So you have, you know, obviously your ETF, your indexers, all trying to work the close because they've got to go into it, added into the S and P 400 as of this morning. Um, so that was why we had the huge volume spike on the closing print and five minutes before the close. I actually wasn't paying attention to it, but I'm assuming it probably had a buy and bounce is why it ran up for a few minutes there. And then it looks like it kind of gapped down on the close where the trade got a little bit crowded. So just because getting added to an index doesn't necessarily mean it's going to rip higher. Um, sometimes it can gap down too. In this case, it did rip higher right before the close, but then gave a lot of it back on the closing print. So no manipulation here. GME, this is just index. You know, we see this again and again and again. When a stock is getting added to an index, you see a huge volume spike on the close. Yeah, and it's uh, far away from that now, uh, which is spiked up to uh, one, uh, not even relevant today, 158.89. There was huge volume, huge volume in the after hours, too, uh, coming right back down. Uh, Just these charts are just not looking good amc here uh that's coming down so what did you had that former low of the move at 3027 you got the bounce yep that's it that's it we'll see you know it all started when it broke out over 20 but uh first things first low of the move at 3027 Earnings. Yeah, yeah. I guess so go we should, General Motors. We, we can go GM. Yeah. Uh, you know, the earnings were okay, uh, but the guidance was light. Um, you know, I, guidance I guess, was good. Mm, Where, what are you seeing, guidance? No, like? I'm seeing fiscal year EPS guidance in the, uh, the, the low end of it was 540, uh, 540 to 640 versus 640. Oh, Q2. All right. Well, I'm, I'm looking at the whole year. Uh, you know, so yeah, Q2 was good. EPS was good. Sales was good. Again, EP, full year EPS guidance. I'm- you know, you know what's messed up is um, I'm just looking at the pro here, and I imagine the pro is right. But on CNBC, when that earnings broke, yeah, um, they came on and said GM is raising full year fiscal year guidance. Like I never actually looked wow. at the pro, so it looks like CNBC actually got it wrong. Surprise, surprise. Well, interesting. Well, well, so, but also, like, what you have to contend with here is, you know, they still are, we still have chip shortages, right? So I imagine, like, to me, like, I, I imagine there's not much clarity either way because they still don't really know how long, maybe they do know how long these chip shortages are going to last. And it wasn't their headline, it wasn't yesterday, it was maybe the day before that they're, they're closing another plant again. They're reclosing the plant because, again, they don't have the chips. I think that was over the weekend. It may have been Monday. So, um, in any case, what is the stock doing? I don't know. I'm just looking, and, and, and the pro does have that. I'm looking just on Twitter because they clearly said, you know, on CNBC that they were raising guidance. And um, I'm just looking on Twitter, and some other people saying, yeah, they're raising the full year outlook. But when you look at this, 
from the pro, it surely doesn't look like that. So right. maybe they're, maybe, you know, you're, and obviously the stock action doesn't look like that either. That's why I tend to think that the Benzinga Pro is correct. You know what? This isn't the first time in the last 20, yesterday, I don't know if you saw, and this is off topic, but the Activision report was very confusing as well. There was a lot of confusion around the numbers for Activision. So right. this is the second time in this overnight session that I've been confused on, on earnings numbers. And, um, but, uh, you know what? Because here, let's see here. Uh, they raised their. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So you see, they did raise their guidance for the year. It was a raise, but it was still below estimates. That's so technically both right. So uh, it's not a buck well, eighty-seven. It's but it's not a buck eighty-nine. That's that's what we know for sure. Raise guidance, nose guidance, but this thing gaps around quite a bit. Uh, we'll see what happens at uh, fifty-five eighty-six. Uh, that fills this gap here, and then after that, you're looking at fifty-five. Uh, if you're looking for a resistance, uh, fifty-six seventy-five. Uh, that's the last three, four lows. So that's going to be your resistance. So fifty-five eighty-five, we're at right now. Potential support. And those four lows is resistance. A uh, good question here, Dennis. Uh, uh, is there any standard evaluation or fundamental to add to stock to an index? And I'll say no. It's just based on market cap, right? They can well, it depends less. on the index. So okay. no, that's not correct. It's it's different for every index. I mean, the Dow has, you know. Oh, that's true. The, the Dow has different, you know, criterion. You know, which isn't, you know, the the S&P, you know, the S&P, we used to say had to be the four profitable quarters in a row, but we just saw two stocks get added to the S&P 500 that aren't profitable. So I I don't know. I, I, you know, I think they change it. It's a moving target. You can add pretty much anything, I guess, but they have usually certain criteria that the S&P likes to follow, but every index is going to be different. So, like, for example, uh, the S&P 500, because that's let's just start there for a second, okay? In order to be eligible to be in that index, you have to, A, uh, you know, be a U.S. company. You have to have a market cap of at least $11.8 billion. You have to be highly liquid, whatever that even means. Uh, that's subjective, right? Public float of at least 10% of shares outstanding and its most recent quarter's earnings. Uh, and the sum of its trail, the sum of the trailing four consecutive quarters' earnings must be positive. But there's also a committee. That's how these they do things. They have a committee that that votes on who's in, who's out. The committee can decide to like overrule any one of those factors if they want to. Um, but yes, it it does depend on this on the index. Every index has its own rules. That's the sum of it. Good question. Good question. Thank you. Um, not. Not thank me. Thank to, thanks to whoever asked that. Um, let's go to Activision here because I mentioned it before. I was confused on the Activision numbers because uh, there was some weird adjustment or or or, or deferral. There's a there's a large difference between the the gap earnings and the adjusted number last night. So I, I didn't quite know what to make of this or like how to make heads or tails of, of the of the numbers. All I do know is that their monthly active users went way up and the stock went way up as well. And they the bar. So we talk about this. If you're going to if you if you're reporting second, you want the company that's reporting first to basically to shit the bed. And yep. take two did that. Language, so the bar language, now set language, extraordinarily language. low. And I'm saying S H I T is okay to say on the show today because <laughs> I'm doing sec. 
ATBI had a good quarter, but because Take Two got absolutely annihilated yesterday, it was down twenty bucks. I own Take Two in my long term portfolio. Not good for me. Um, I think you see more of a bounce in Activision Blizzard because everybody hitting Activision Blizzard yesterday, and I mean they smacked it. Activision Blizzard was eighty-two dollars. Smacked down at seventy-seven before it ended up closing at seventy-nine. So. I think it's like the low expectations were right there. And all of a sudden, it's like, wow, this quarter was pretty good. So and that's why they're ripping it higher here. Where it goes from here, you now have an overhead supply issue. 85 looks like a huge level. Huge, to me. Yeah, great um, job. Can it continue up? You know, there's not much between 85 and 90, but, you know, you just got a stock that got spanked. Now you get the 10% dead cat bounce. I think you, I think I'd be a seller more than a buyer at this level. Uh, great call. 85 just happens to be your pre-market and after hours high. Uh, that spots a, uh, right in the middle of two lows from the 29th and 30th, 85.22, 84.65. So if the bulls can, you know, get this thing 85 bid and hold it and run it, there's nothing on the dailies until 87.30. Uh, but right there, getting into that area. And also, Spencer, that also had some news. They had someone leaving the company, right? That, right. That just, exactly. Yeah. So you talk about the, well, the low bar. Uh, plus, well, there's the low bar from Take Two, but there's also the low bar from the fact that there was this lawsuit hanging over them, and they just ousted the head of Blizzard, right? And they, they got that news out yesterday morning. Um, so, so I guess they got the bad news out of the way. But um, yeah, low bar to clear for sure, and so that that, that always helps. Helps. And is it they, like as far as like the stay at home versus reopening stocks? I mean, is it starting to get a kind little bit murky here? Because if this, you know, this is definitely we categorize this as a stay at home stock. Yeah, it, yeah, and it's you know they're both going down. The the the, the stay at home and the reopenings are both kind of going the same way right now. So a little bit more, a uh, little bit more um, uh, difficult to to make that differentiation now. Uh, it's such a good point you're making here. I mean, I look at the S&Ps basically at all-time highs, and I think, what is at all-time highs? Bring up a stock. Bring up a random stock and bring up the 90-day. And and there's a, just a ton of stocks down 10 to 15 to 20%. Random I stock. Mean, Caterpillar. I mean, yeah. You got Activision Blizzard, which you're saying gaming stocks. Caterpillar is off significantly. It was 245. Now it's 208. I mean, I guess you could say these are, you know, infrastructure plays, but, you know, we got the infrastructure bill coming and, you know, it hasn't helped this at all. Um, General Motors, you know, obviously just report earnings significantly off the highs. Um, you know, people are saying, well, it's Fang helping it. Well, Amazon, though, 3300 it was 3700 It's rotation every day that keeps us higher. Procter & Gamble, Pfizer, consumer staples are at all-time highs for the most part besides Clorox, which is obviously had the disaster yesterday so that's one area but it's a smaller area of the market's keeping us up but the banks are you know 15 to 20 percent off of the highs now um there's individual tech stocks like microsoft is near the highs we're just looking at the big ones facebook google are all somewhat near the highs still too but it's 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 like there's two the tale of two markets you got the indices that just don't seem to come down and then you have individual stocks where there's a lot of stocks that have been hit pretty hard so it's got to be one of the ugliest, you know, all-time high <laughs> markets I've ever seen because there's not – this doesn't feel like an all-time high market. It really doesn't. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. No. Uh, Royal Caribbean, uh, whew, whew, whew. those are some bad numbers, but 
Let's see what the market does with that. Look at Royal Caribbean. That has really come off too, Spencer. That just broke. You want to do the RCL Real number? Real pretty trade has ugly. Look at that. Yeah. You want to do the RCL numbers? Yeah. The- yep. Out this morning, um, you know, no real surprise. They're still not making money. Yeah. Are they doing any selling? Uh, let me look. So anyway, the numbers, uh, the loss, they lost $5.29 per share last quarter, which is about a, about a dollar worse than expected sales. I'm actually sort of impressed that they made $50 million. Yeah. Rent. How the hell they do that? I don't know. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> That's impressive. You're right. That is impressive. <laughs> uh, yeah. So let's see. They expect to incur a net loss for the current quarter and for the fiscal year. Obviously. Um, so when, you know, I didn't look to see if they said anything as far as when they're going to set sail again, let's hop into the press release and see what I can find while I do that. You can look at the charts. Uh, you just got a quick spike down, but you didn't come, you didn't come anywhere near, uh, yesterday's low of 71.79. So you could see from the dailies, you have that low, you have your low just under 70 and the low of the move. But the fact that, uh, as you know, as poor as those numbers are that you haven't taken into yesterday's low, kind of makes me think there's a few buyers out there. I mean, this thing was over 80 bucks, 81, 82 in the middle of last week. But you have your area, your daily areas of support. Uh, I'm sure, a lot of people see what happens at the close 74.49 and uh, minor resistance uh, at yesterday's high 75.17. So I mean, bad numbers. It's got hit going into it. Let's see if it can hold or even get near yesterday's low at this point. Yeah, there was a press release out yesterday where they announced the the schedule for when they're going to go get back into the water finally. Uh, but I'm having a problem tough, tough, on, my, on my pro feed, so I'm having to go to the, straight to the website and find you it. You still got your NCLH, Dennis? I know you kept a little piece of it. No, I, never, I sold it up at 28, I think. Oh, good for you. Yeah, wow. I mean, at a certain point, these stocks do get attractive again. The reopening trade, you know, has got hammered. You know, if you're in any of these reopening stocks, they're all moving together and they're all ugly. It's, you know, at a certain point, if you think Delta's going to get it, they're going to get a handle on it. You know, at a certain point, they're probably a buy. But, you know, I said yesterday, I don't know. The Delta thing, you know, I feel like it's still in the early innings for Delta here, unfortunately. I don't want it to be in the early innings. I want us to be by COVID. But, um, you know, it looks like it's, you know, Florida making new record highs. I mean, it's it's difficult. It's difficult to just say, oh, yeah, we're all just going to jump back and go to Disney World. Right now, we're, they're talking about, you know, adding mass New York. And, you know, like we're going backwards right now. So we need more clarity on Delta. I, I think we do get a handle on it eventually. I don't think we're going to go back in a lockdown or anything like that. But it doesn't mean everybody's flying on their planes and going to Six Flags and Cedar Point and Disney World and casinos. Uh, so, I told, yeah, I told Spencer gotta, those trades are awful right now. Yeah, look, I told Spencer I was going to give my travel tip. Oh uh, well, yeah, yeah. Don't you know how? Yeah, I like to board the flight as late as possible, right? Because you know, just less time on the plane. Well, you can't do that. Uh, I I did that on this flight. And uh, my seat got taken over and uh, well, not taken. I mean, taken over in a physical space. Right. So the person that had I always take the aisle. So the person that had the window was a little bit bigger than me and they put up the armrest and they were basically 
way over the line and they were in my seat. And so I tried to sit down and Lisa's like texting me, you know, put the armrest down, put the armrest down. And basically, if I were to put the armrest down, okay, then I would be basically telling that person that they're like overweight and they're on my seat. So I, it was a short flight. So board early, get your territory. I know you don't like doing it, but you got to board early now when you're there. I won't be flying anywhere. Thanks. I'm still. Yeah. Thanks for that. Thanks for that advice. I went outside camping and I got sick. With <laughs> with, with crazy regards, stuff out with there. Regards to RCL, they did announce yesterday that their all their ships will be back sailing by the spring of next oh. year, uh, <laughs> and they're uh, gonna start getting back in the water in September. Yeah, if I, everything goes well. I mean, oh, yeah. nobody knows anything though. Again, okay. So we talk about in the markets all the time. Nobody knows anything. This Delta, nobody knows anything there either. We don't know where we're going to... A year and a half from now, we have no idea where we're going to be. We have no... Nobody knows where we're going to be. So they're just projecting out and say, oh, yeah, we're not getting the ship, ships all in the water next week. So we'll just throw it out there a year and a half. Oh, yeah, we'll be back in the water by then. Yeah, in a perfect world, you know, maybe. And probably, hopefully. I, I hope so. But we don't know anything. So, so many unknowns. These stocks, some of them are cheap if you're looking, but RCL is not one of the cheap ones, in my opinion. Even if you're looking, you know, at you know some, where some of these stocks have come from, there's not still. Even though we've come off the highs, you start looking, you know, from you know where the earnings were prior to COVID. I mean, RCL was trading about 100 and 110 bucks before COVID started, went all the way down to 20, came all the way back down almost 100 dollars. I mean, all the way back up without ships in the water. So probably you could say when it was getting back up to ninety or hundred dollars, people just getting overexcited. The great reopening trade was supposed to happen, which you know started to happen, and then they decided to throw another variant at us. So at this point in time, I just have just too many unknowns for me to own any of these stocks, at least to buy any more of these stocks. What about Spooser Lakin here again? Yeah, we had a weak ADP number. What happens though with the Spooze, Joel? There's some rotation, and then they'll buy something else up. (laughs) I mean, this is just the market that doesn't go down for any reason whatsoever. I'm not fighting the tape, you know. I'm shorting stocks here and telling you, you know, to go to cash. And I mean, it hasn't worked. The indices have just held up for forever, and they continue to hold up. You get a sell off yesterday. You're like, okay, well, maybe this is, you know, finally, you know, going to start to sell off a little bit, and they buy them right back. You cannot break the buy the dip mentality in this market. It is there. It is strong. It is going to take some serious bad headlines or serious something to break the SPY, you know, uptrend here. It is strong. It is almost at all time highs. So as much as you want, you know, you can look and say Delta's problems. You know, even if we go in to, let's just say in a scenario where a lot of the world starts to go into lockdown, which we're starting to see in Australia, China, we're seeing in other countries, then tech stocks win. So it doesn't mean that SP crashes down like we did back in March 2020. We're going to crash 35%. No, we're in a different environment. We've already been through this. And we know in that environment, you got so you got all your tech that wins. And maybe that's why tech is so strong right now. Like people, you know, talking about in the chat when I was just saying a few minutes ago, there's no stocks making new all-time highs. There is a lot of stocks, you know, with tech stocks. It's all tech, like Datadog, somebody's pointing out, new all-time high. So there is some stocks that are making new all-time highs every day. I, on the reopening trend, can can we talk about Live Nation for a second, LYV? They had earnings last night, and, and listen to this. They said that uh, June was the fourth best month in the history for Ticketmaster North America. 
fourth best month in the history of the of the company uh from the release uh looking forward to 2022 and now also 2023 all our leading indicators continue to point to a roaring era for concerts and other live events obviously of course they're bullish they're a concert company that's what they do but um i you know, I, I don't know if you guys saw pictures over the weekend of Lollapalooza. Uh, <laughs> on my screen here. I mean, it looked like it was packed. It was packed, right? <laughs> People want to do stuff. For sure they want to do yeah. stuff. If we didn't have this Delta variant coming, you know, and we're in the early innings on that, yeah, all these stocks would be probably screaming buys at this point in time. Because, uh, you know, but I just don't know where we go. Where are we in three weeks? Where are we in, in two months? Are we? Did it? Did it go? I, I don't know the answer to that question. That's why I, I can't buy the stock either. This is a pure reopening trade. It's a nice lift. It's a good you know commentary from. But are they coming in and buying these stocks? No. Every time these stocks have rallied to a certain extent, they've been selling them off in the last month, and that's because of Delta. You're safer in tech right now. Look at that. 82. You didn't get there in the pre-market. You only got to 81, but brick wall at 82. So I don't know what the CEO is saying. I don't know what the variant's doing. That 82, one, two, three, four, five, six highs in a row there. We haven't hit it yet. So it busts above 82, holds 82. Yeah, you got some room up to 84. Uh, but right now, you got the pop after, wow, the stock is near all-time highs. I can't figure that out. But anyways, if you're trading, just just not for today, but uh, 82 is a, a longer-term level in LYV. I'll tell you right now, I haven't been to a concert, and uh, I got Michigan football season coming up and got my tickets right here in the drawer, and I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know if I want to sit outside for four hours um, with a mask on. With 110,000 people, I don't even know if they're going to get 110,000. That's going to that's going to be interesting. I think you'll go. Uh, let, let's do lift. Let's will do lift quickly. It was a good quarter for lift. Reopening trade, obviously. Um, uh, profit surprise profitability on on an EBITDA basis. Uh, for I guess for the first time, uh, active riders up almost 100 percent year over year. Uh, revenue. Wow, company. easy comparison. I know. I'm just saying revenue per active rider, uh, nice gain of 14%. So it's not just the number of riders. It's the, it's, it's the profitability of each rider. Um, anyway, stock is stock was up. I, I looked at it was up. I swear it's not up anymore or it's not up as much, but yeah, it gave it all back again, again. And, you know, people in the chat are saying nobody is scared of Delta. There's so many people in our chat that are just, you know, nobody's scared of Delta. I will tell you, the stocks are telling you a completely different story. So maybe there's no people, in your opinion, chat, whoever isn't saying that in the chat, that's scared of Delta. But the stocks are scared of Delta. Uber, $60, $42. You know, Lyft, same thing. You know, you, you can look through all these stocks. It is very, very clear that we have an anti-reopening trade in the last few weeks. It is so clear. So clear. Tech has been getting a bit. So, I mean, this is Lyft. It, it has a pretty decent report. But what do they do? They sell it off anyways. They, they, they're, they're selling all rallies and anything that's reopening. I don't know when that changes. I hope it changes. But I'm a trader, and I have to identify trends. And you've been, if you've been selling rips on the reopening stocks, you've been making money. If you've been buying dips on the reopening stocks, you've probably been struggling because they continue to dip lower. So as a trader, I've got to identify those trends. That's my job. Right now, you can clearly see tech in favor. Reopening is not. 
Yeah, big pop over 60 and then the fade. Uh, let's see if it can stay green on the session. Uh, made a low, 53.84, rallied, 55.38 close. So in your train up 29 cents. I just don't like the fact that you pulled back so far for the high, from the high. So if this goes red, I don't think you see yesterday's low at 53.84. Uh, but, I, you know, you don't want to see this go red early in the session and, uh, you know, lose that closing price of 55.38. Uh and use it, but now that we backed off, forget about the pre-market high. Just look at yesterday's high, 56, uh, 56.38 as a potential resistance. I don't know. I mean, I haven't been in a cab or an Uber. I just, when we were in uh, Philly, of course, we took all Ubers. And it just seemed like they were just really expensive. I, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just my perception of where I'm going, but... You know, at least in a, we took a cab from the airport. I kind of like to see it in a cab, you know, it goes, you know, you see what you're paying. You you hop in an Uber and you're just, you know, that's it. You paid. You're done. You yeah. know, yeah. I don't know. I mean, no cabs in Philly. Can you believe that? I mean, what about New York? We have anybody in New York? You got to still see cabs in New York. Yeah, you, you do, obviously. But holy mackerel. I mean, there was Emily, we were discussing it. And Emily's like, no, dad, there's hardly any cabs in the city. I'm like, what are you talking about? There's got to, I mean, going on the street corner and whistling and getting a cab, man, those days are over with. You got to be on your phone and get the Uber and you can see how close he is. I don't know. Whole different world, but th those stocks, man, oh, man. All right. Well, let's talk some trading ideas here with our guests. Let's get some options trades. CeCe Lagator uh, is from Options AI. He's the co-founder. He's a former options market maker and specialist, and he's joining us here on Pre-Market Prep. CeCe, good morning. How's it going, guys? Great to see you. Good to see you as well. How's your summer going? It's good. I'm out east on Long Island. Oh, and I'm you know, typically in Boulder. But uh, yeah, so it's nice. I like uh, since last time I was here, it's gotten a little more R-rated. Dennis is sick and swearing. <laughs> so I might. He I'm, says he has a cold. That I might let a few fly. <laughs> You're welcome, CC. We missed you. We always love CC's commentary. What do you think of this overall market? I mean, it's so interesting. The indices are at all-time highs. Tech's been holding us up. But you have a lot of other sectors that haven't performed that well. What are your overall thoughts here? Well, no, it was interesting, the discussion you were just having, because <clears throat> so I'm out here, you know, sort of east end of Long Island. And just in the last few days, seeing some behavior changes, you know, so when I first got out here, you know, about a week ago, you know, no masks going to the grocery store, you know, things like that. Since that you know, the Delta and the, you know, the news about vaccinated people potentially being, you know, contagious and, you know, it just totally changed. And now you, I went into the supermarket yesterday and half the people were masked all of a sudden. So, you know, I think you are going to, you know, see some behavioral changes. And as, you know, as you were saying earlier, nobody knows, like nobody knows what's going to happen next. And ideally there's enough vaccinated people that, you know, it may be sort of more endemic than pandemic, but nobody knows. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've already seen, be, you know, anecdotally, obviously, I've seen behavioral changes. I've seen way more masks in the last couple of days than I was last week. I mean, that's what we're seeing in the market with the tech bid and the reopening yep. trade stocks to come, start coming down. Do we just stay long tech? Is that like the safest play? I mean, that's what the market is telling us. Yeah, right. Like there's nothing there's been nothing 
nothing can shake those stocks it seems right like they it sort of heads you win tails you win it yeah seems, you know especially those big ones like you know so yeah it, it's very interesting I, I mean i think it was very like the live nation is you know i've been buying concert tickets right the last couple of weeks you know and there's such like a jammed i go to see a lot of live music there's such a jammed calendar this fall but then all of a sudden you're thinking you know is is something that i was thinking of doing two weeks ago now no longer you know in play like it's really wild to see the things that have changed in the last week and i think you're starting to see that in the market for sure and then that could change in two weeks. You know, we everything changes continuously. We might get good news, right? We hope so. so. We hope yeah. so. That's what we're shooting for is the good news here. Yeah. So, okay. So where are you looking? Talk to us. Talk to us some options. Where are you looking, CC? Well, it was interesting. You all, you know, started off the show with the uh, Robinhood options being listed. And it's funny because, you know, I was thinking we were out of the meme stock, stock era. And I was going to come on and talk about how normal the VIX is, you know, at about 18, which is like near its historical average and, and things. But the Robinhood, you know, is very interesting what it's done the last two days. And what I would say from an options perspective is I would imagine it plays out very, you know, very similar to the GameStops and the AMCs. And I think if, if people are getting involved in options in Robinhood when they list, is what I would imagine they look like is the same thing we saw in those, which is huge skew to the upside in the calls. And, and I'll sort of break that down, how that works, is as these meme stocks start going to the moon with the rocket ship emojis, there's such demand for the, those really far out of the money options. And what that does is the market makers, of course, raise the prices on those to get out of the way of all this retail demand. And what ends up happening is those are skewed much higher than the options that are trading closer to where the stock is actually trading. And what that provides is if you're bullish in one of these stocks, you know, and I think it was Dennis, you mentioned earlier, you, you play for base hits, not home runs. When stuff gets out of whack like that, you can actually position for home runs as if you were positioning for a base hit because you can buy at the money calls, sell far out of the money calls, turn it into a call spread. And it's a very cheap, very wide call spread. And, you know, that's something that I saw in the GameStops and the AMCs. And the other thing that happens with those, well, two other points on the meme stocks is as they go higher, vol goes higher. Once they stop going higher, vol comes in, right? Which is sort of the opposite of how a traditional stock works. And what that's, why that's happening is when those stocks are going higher, there is no limit to how higher they can go, you know, how high they can go. And there's, it's, it becomes almost impossible for the market makers to price those options. And once they start to settle back in, the, the volatility compresses and those are the moments that people have to be very you know careful about owning options premium because once those stocks going start going sideways i mean volatility gets absolutely destroyed and there's and there'd be no no way to make money being long calls or puts like even puts like as those stocks go down you could be long puts and volatility is getting crushed so fast that your puts are going down even when That's the stock's crazy. going down so Oh, and one other point, which will be interesting. Look to what the highest strike 
that gets listed in Robinhood is. I saw something on Twitter earlier, and I haven't seen the options yet. But um, what you would see in those GameStops and those AMC options is the highest strike that was listed. The stock would often stop right there because of that. What was happening was they were the retail order flow was running out of strikes to buy. And what would happen is that the market makers no longer had to hedge above that point because they were basically maxed out on their hedge at that point. And it's it's that term you see a lot now, um, you know, like gamma short gamma squeezes. Basically, the gamma can run out when the strikes run out. So that's something to keep in in mind. If you know, like for instance, if this thing keeps going to the moon and the highest strike is seventy, watch for it. Uh, you know, at that seventy level. Do you look at anything technically on that? Like, do you look for like it? I mean, does it usually precede like a you know an inside day or the volume just starts to taper off, or it's just do you just see it by you know looking at yeah, uh, the for, different Greeks? I think from what Dennis said something earlier, you know, like when you were talking about trading Robinhood and you know in those first few days, and there was only one technical thing to look at. Well, everybody's looking at that same thing. Right. And so it is become self-fulfilling. And it's the same with options, you know, mentioning those, you know, those strike things is that I'm not the only, you know, I didn't just reveal some big secret about the highest strike in one of these meme stocks. Like people will be looking to those levels and they will be doing the same thing in the equities. You know, it, it becomes difficult to tell what's, you know, the tail and what's the dog. And, you know, there's, it, and then you'll see, you know, we when I've come on the show before, we've talked about, you know, expected moves and things in the options market. Those things can become pretty self-fulfilling. I, I was you were talking about Activision earlier, and I think, you know, what is it down or what is it up on the earnings? I think it was like yeah. six six point two percent. Like the expected move I'm looking on options AI is six point four percent. So so those kinds of things can become somewhat self-fulfilling. Um, because everybody's looking to those same levels. Everybody's positioning in the options to those same levels. So the options can drive the bus to a certain extent. Yeah, it's, it's hard sometimes. And I would say, you know, in a big stock, like, you know, let's say Amazon or something, you know, obviously the big, you know, mutual funds and, you know, those things are driving the bus, but like, you know, sometimes in these meme stocks, there's, you know, these people are looking for leverage, right. And where are they going for leverage? They're going into the options market. And they're trying to hit home runs and the YOLO thing. And that can often, you know, that can be the tail wagging the dog for sure. CC, one other thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, you know, people uh, get a lot of questions. You see, oh, wow, there's a, a huge, huge VIX trade, a huge call buy in the VIX. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, well, that's implying, you know, a 10 to 15 percent uh, down move in the market. And yeah. uh, I think what people fail to recognize, and I can remember this is a while back, there was uh, a big hedge fund. They talked about it. I think they called it 50 cents. And whenever right. some VIX options got to 50 cents, right. uh, they bought a boatload of them. But what yeah. I think what people fail to recognize is that sometimes they're just getting long, you yeah. know, getting really, really long. And they're using that as a hedge. So yeah. could you talk about that dynamic in the uh, VIX options markets, please? That's exactly right. And so, you know, there's a, a lot of talk about unusual options activity, and I think it is interesting to keep an eye out on. 
making conclusions based on on that is very difficult right you do not know what that the rest of that person's book looks like right and so that's a great example is for all we know they are getting super long the market and they're hedging against a black swan right and so what what's the information we're supposed to take from that that somebody is hedging against a black swan and we don't know whether it's outright or just you know so that they can buy more and get longer the market so it's really difficult. I think the best way to use those kinds of unusual options, you know, prints and activity is to sort of like, all right, somebody's interested in this for some reason, right? And let me go in and do a little bit more research. You know, obviously, if, if there's a biotech stock that there's rumored to have like an FDA approval or something, and then some, it looks like some big hedge fund. <laughs> you know, buys a ton of calls or something like that, you know, that's, that could be something that's just outright obvious. But in most cases, I would say the waters are very muddy and you have to be very careful with those. But what I would do when I see things like that is I, I you know, I, I start looking at charts and I'm like, why did they pick those strikes? You know, like what, what's going on here? Um, and that's the way I would look at it is it's interesting, but you should not assume that you know why they did it. One other question regarding uh, market makers. Uh, someone asked of of whether or not when you're trading, are you trading with a, another trader or a, um, a market maker? Uh, I would say a majority of the time you're trading with the market maker and they're hedging. I, they're yeah. immediately hedging with an, oh, yeah. um, either another option yeah. or and a stock. That's why sometimes when you see a huge option trade go on, you see you know a corresponding move in the in the uh, in the stock and that's just because they're they're just trying to lock they're just trying to lock something in they don't they don't yeah, care whether that person is right or wrong they're just locking in that yeah. that little fraction of uh, inefficiency and it's interesting i just wrote about this last week and i was um and it's on you know like learn.options ai you can go and read this article and i can maybe post it into the chat but i was writing you know i was a former options market maker and I was writing about liquidity in options and how that works, right? So if you are trading in equity, you have a very good chance that you're trading with somebody else, right? Once you go into single leg options and you're trading a call or a put, uh, occasionally there will be a, you know, another retail order being represented mid bid ask, right? Once you go into the multi-leg options, especially you are almost 100% trading with a market maker, right? And the way that all works within options is the market makers have this model on all those strikes you see on every call in the put, and they have a fair value for every one of those options, right? So if you come in to buy a call or to sell a put and you're trading with a market maker, they have a fair value of 110 on that call and you're willing to pay 115 they'll sell you that at 115 and if there's an opportunity for them to go and execute a you know another strike to hedge that option on a five cents edge on that other one they'll do that and they'll pair that off they don't have the luxury like an equity of going home flat at night there's just too many strikes too many you know, expirations, it's just, you know, there's so much stuff. And so they are carrying these positions and the way they're working is trying to build up this theoretical edge over time and hope that most <clears throat> by expiration, most of that comes in and they profit from that edge. So yeah, when you're in the options market, you're, you know, most of the time you are trading with a market maker 
And that market maker is simply an algorithm pricing those options. And you have to then explore where that liquidity is with that market maker when you put in a bid or an ask in the options trade. CC, just before I let you go, is, is there any mm-hmm. specific uh, stocks or setups or trades or strikes that you're watching this week, next week, next few weeks? Let's think. Um, so it was interesting, like talking about that Activision Blizzard. Let me uh, let me screen share real quick. Um, okay. I was looking out, like speaking of the, um, and this kind of goes to some of the things we've been talking about. Uh, let me pull up on the screen. In the meantime, Ron with CC Lagator. He's the uh, co-founder of Options AI's Twitter handles up on the screen at Options Learn. There we go. Oh, what do we got you here? Got what do we got uh, here? So this is this is an expected move chart on Options AI. And I, I pulled up Zoom because I was sort of going through as you all were talking about, you know, reopening and opening trades. And and this it also sort of dovetails a little bit to what we were talking about with technicals. So, you know, this is a three-month historical chart in Zoom. You know, you can see the move it made higher and then, you know, as it, you know, came back down and it's sort of established a little bit of a range here, right? In the last, you know, sort of, let's call it a month and a half. If you look at the options out into the future, this is an expected move chart. And basically what options are saying is that options are pricing for it to stay within that range for the, you know, out until the end of August. And then look at this, see how it, it, it widens right here from here to here. And yep. this range in here is basically 350 to 400, right? So options are pricing Zoom to stay within a, you know, a $50 range. This is earnings. So earnings is at the end or the end, either the end of August or right at the beginning of September. And the options are now saying if Zoom were to break out of that range, it's probably not going to be till earnings. And so when you're trading options in something like this, this is very useful information because if you are trading for Zoom to go higher before earnings, you do not want to own premium above this prior high. And that's the, what the options market is telling you that. You want to play for the move from here to here before earnings, but not for a breakout. If you're going to play for a breakout, you need earnings to be good. It's basically what the options market is saying. And so on Say that yeah, go, go, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. And so <clears throat> on options AI, the way that would work is, you know, like you would say, like, I'm bullish out to, let's say, right before earnings, you know, it's a 7.4% move higher. And you can come in here and see, you know, a debit call spread up to that level. And this is basically look at that prior high back here. And you're saying, I don't want to, you're buying a call here, you're selling a call at that prior high. And you're not owning any of that premium up above that level because you know it, it's it's an un, it's an unlikely event that Zoom makes a new high before its earnings report. Yeah, bottom line is you got to go further out if you're playing. If you're yeah. playing for a breakout, you got to go further out. And that, that expected move really helps you. You know, when you're thinking of it, it, not only is it strike selection, but it's time, right? So if if you're if you think Zoom's going to go back down to here. The options market is telling you how far out you have right. to go. You have you basically have to go out towards you know Halloween. All right, CC yeah. Lagator, that was fantastic. Yeah, really nice. Always as Excellent always, love, love the visualization of the options chain. There, it's, yeah. you don't see that every day. The expected move. All right, CC, thanks a lot, man. Yeah, talk great to, to talk to you guys. All right, all right.
Have a good Thank one, CC. Have fun out there on the East End. All right. Uh, Real, really good information. Uh, great Continuing stuff. to go lower here at the lows of the pre-market session, down 17 handles, 43.98. Just been steady drip, drip, drip here. So back under 4,400. Led by the small caps once again, IWM. And okay. again, that's reopening. A lot of reopening stocks in IWM as well. So you clearly see this morning once again the tech trade or QQQ only down 0.17%. You're seeing a 1% move uh between iwm and qqq again here this morning the op and basically you know tech strong and rest of the market not so much let's do some a couple questions from chat before uh, our next guest at nine uh we had a question about uh joel's old favorite uh tan tanger tangier still don't know how to pronounce that sk tanger Tan is a tanger I, I don't know what it is i call tanger does anyone know how to pronounce this company tanger i'm going with tanger tanger SKT. How do i think it's tanger yeah, we're not French. I think it's Tanger. Tanger, 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 No, Tanger. We're going with Tanger. All right, fine. Anyway, what's up? What's up with Tanger? Talk to me. Uh, they they have earnings uh, tonight. What's the expected move? <laughs> That's what we need. Bring up CC back here and get the expected move. We can quickly get it for you as well, but. It is so important. You know, what CC was just talking about is, you know, the same thing I look at, too. If I'm making a directional bet, you want to always be looking, you know, one, you know, look at these open interests at certain strikes because those can come into play. The big hole numbers can come into play, not so much because they're big psychological numbers, but because there's probably some open interest there. But, you know, you quickly get the expected move by just adding up the calls and the puts premium. Now, again, we don't have weeklies on Tanger. So we got to go all the way out to August 20th. But, you know, if you were just taking the 17, which is close, it looks about a buck. You got 70, 65 to 75 and 70 to 75. You're about a buck 40. But that's, again, got a little bit extra time premium jacked into it because it's 14 days away. There's no weekly. So you're about a dollar 40, the expected move. All right. Everyone's making fun of me for the, for the pronunciation. I genuinely can't remember. If I could remember, I would get it right. Am I right? It's Tanger. It, yeah, they're all saying they're all agreeing with you, which We're is fine. Tanger. That's pretty. Good. That's pretty hear. easy, isn't it? Tanger. Look, there's only it so much have room. to be hard, Joel. There's only so much room up here for <laughs> stuff for, for new information. Okay, that, that, <laughs> this is not going to get retained again. Sorry, not going to happen. Um, uh, this is hat. This is uh, reopening. Sixteen uh, fifty. Good support. Um, you're trading above yesterday's high, but just on just on an odd lot here or three hundred shares. So not putting a lot of faith in that. But uh, we had a strong close or sixteen nine. So let's hold that close seventeen eleven. Uh, after that. Gets closer to eighteen, but uh, with earnings coming at out, uh, looking for a quiet day in TGR. I don't know if you guys saw this. Well, I know Joel did. I don't know if Dennis did. Uh, we got an interesting question on Twitter with regards to Marvel, MRVL, because they announced an acquisition. They're buying a Novium. And mm -hmm. in order to do the acquisition, they're issuing uh, – sh uh, they're doing an offering. They're using the offering, the, the shares that they're issuing. What? To finance the acquisition. Right, to finance yeah. the acquisition and to do the conversion so the, the Novium shareholders are going to get these new shares. And the question was, is this dilution – it's a, a, a the number of shares is um, uh, I think what nineteen million I think nineteen million shares is what they said. Um, Whenever you're issuing new stock, it is always dilutive. Um, if it's you know you, you'll see stock sales from you know you'll sometimes see an offering 
and it's from company insiders, it's from a big shareholder, that's not dilutive. So you don't see you know, the stocks get hit on those. Then you have dilution, two types of dilution. One is dilution to grow, one is dilution to survive, you know, really. And that's simplifying it all. But, you know, we, we saw it back during, you know, March, April, May, June last year. There was dilution all over the place as, you know, airlines were issuing stock and cruise lines and, you know, casinos. And, 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 and a lot of, you know, people who, or companies who were struggling with COVID were issuing new stock in order to survive. Where we know this is a, this is dilution in order to grow. So yeah, it's dilutive to MRVL, but you're getting something else. So even though it's going to be dilutive, you're bringing in another company as well. Yeah, so you're asset. getting a bigger piece of pie, even though you're diluting it. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. I always don't mind dilution to grow. And uh, right now, the market is saying that they don't mind it either. Uh, and I own Marvel. Full disclosure. Yeah, it's down uh, twenty five cents, fifty one oh nine. Uh, the only, th- the only thing you need, or excuse me, uh, sixty one oh nine, uh, seller at sixty one fifty area. You got to take that that seller out. Sixty one forty three and sixty one forty eight are your highs from the last two sessions. So, I'm gonna hop off here. Uh, go over to pre market prep. Uh, cover all these stickers that we missed. So, uh, Spencer, I'll see you at three thirty. Dennis, feel better. See you, Joel. Dennis, feel oh, better. Yeah. Well, I, 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 you seem like you're powering through. You're, you're doing a good job. That's all you can do. That's all you can do. You're, you're powering through. All right. Uh, feel better. My next guest, everyone, uh, has all the buzzwords. Okay. Diamonds, blockchain. What more do you want? Frankly, Cormac Kinney is the founder and CEO of Diamond Standard. Cormac, good morning. Thank you. Morning, Spencer. Good morning. How are we doing? Great. Great. Okay. Uh, Diamonds I, are on a tear. <laughs> All right, explain this. I got this email, uh, and I thought, whoa, whoa, I have so many questions about this, how this works. So I- explain to me what exactly the the uh, investment is here. Well, it's really simple. Uh, we've created the first diamond commodity. It's fungible. It's like a gold bar for the first time. And... That's a big breakthrough because diamonds are a $1.2 trillion commodity that no asset managers own today, but they own 15% of every other precious metal. So that tells us there's a huge pent up demand now that diamonds are fungible, liquid, with low transaction costs, price discovery, and are the regulator approved commodity. So, so what, what, what is the, what is the financial pro? What is the security here exactly? Is it, it, it's a future so product? Of- it's actually, it's actually not a security. Uh, uh, okay. It's a commodity, right? So okay. what we make are these coins. These are diamond standard coins. And as you can see, the diamonds are inside. The breakthrough is that these two coins, even if we make them 30 years apart, we can prove that these two coins are always equivalent and every diamond coin that we make is equivalent because they contain the same geological content. That is the huge breakthrough because now you have a singular fungible commodity. That's the spot. So what we produce is the good for delivery spot commodity. But as you mentioned, futures are are a very important price discovery mechanism we already have approval for futures, which will be listed on the CME. 
so where are those diamonds from though? Uh, well, that was part of the challenge. Before today, there was never a electronic diamond exchange. There was no price discovery or transparency in diamonds. My background is I built over a hundred trading systems and I've managed uh, statistical arbitrage for Tudor and Millennium, other, and you know, brand quantitative strategies, automated market making. That approach was how we created the diamond commodity by first making the world's only electronic diamond exchange. And we're the world's first and only market maker for loose diamonds. And we bid on a daily basis on about 16 million varieties of diamonds from around the world. So far, we've uh, bought diamonds from eight countries, over 50,000 so far. Um, you know, the, the one thing I think everyone knows, the first thing they think about when they think diamonds maybe is, is, is they think blood diamonds. So how, how do you ensure <laughs> that that's not part of this? That's a huge part of what we're doing is we are bringing transparency and regulation into the diamond supply chain. We're regulated. We have regulatory approval for this commodity in addition to the regulatory oversight by the CFTC of our futures. We're bringing that regulatory standard into the supply chain requiring, for example, that all of our vendors participate in a transparent bidding process. They all agree to not use conflict diamonds and adhere to the UN Kimberly process. Also, we have anti-slavery. I mean, it's that, you know, fundamental. We have to get our vendors to agree. You can't buy any diamonds that were, you know, not that involved any unfair labor practices. So we are really cleaning up the diamond industry. But what's even more interesting, I think, is about 75% of the diamonds that exist on earth that are accessible are already owned by consumers. Uh, which means that what's in the ground and what's in the supply chain over the next 50 years is only 25%. So ultimately, the majority of our diamonds are actually coming from consumers. So we, we, you mentioned the CME. So there's going to be diamond futures listed on the CME? Yeah. And options on the MyX Options Exchange. That's correct. So first, we're launching a physically settled future, which requires 20 of these coins. This is the good for delivery commodity. These are already, we already have uh, custody agreements with two of the custodians that hold the gold for the CME gold futures. And then you deliver 20 of these coins and that's the settlement of the futures. And down the line, we'll have financially settled futures as well. Okay, getting a lot of questions in uh, in chat about about the real supply of diamonds. So, so, so clarify that, uh, you know, what, what, yeah. everything, everything I know is that, you know, uh, uh, the supply is heavily, heavily controlled and just locked in vaults, right? Yeah. To 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 maintain the 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 prices. Uh, so and yeah. and that's that's my basic understanding <laughs> of the Every, global, uh, global diamond that. market. Everybody knows that, and everybody's dead wrong. That's not that has been true for almost thirty years. So it used okay. to be back in the 70s and 80s, De Beers did control the market because they controlled Africa and Russia supply. That was broken up 20 some years ago. De Beers has been a public company since then, part of Anglo-American, and their inventory is public. 
So we know historically they, they keep about 90 days of supply. There's no secret stock room. The other larger supplier now is Russia. De Beers isn't even the largest uh, supplier anymore. Russia is through Alrosa. They produce about 26% of the new diamonds per year. The Russians aren't keeping any stockpile. They're converting it to cash as fast as they can. So the diamond industry, I'll share a, a, a screen, which that I think you'll find interesting. The diamonds globally are worth about $1.2 trillion. That's more than all of the silver, platinum, palladium, and rhodium combined. And I'm talking about the above ground supply. Gold is obviously much larger at uh, over $9 trillion. If you look at all of those metals, investors hold them as a diversification, as a hedge, and a store of wealth. But they don't hold any diamonds because diamonds were never before standardized. Every diamond had a different price. There was no liquidity, no price transparency, no exchange, no mm -hmm. commodity, no futures, et cetera. So what we're doing is we're enabling diamonds to catch up with gold. That supplies about 1.2 trillion. The new diamonds per year that are dug up are only about 40 billion. So it's a very, very low 1% stock to flow ratio. That stock to flow is diamonds that are cut, graded, most of them, all of them go into jewelry. We've created the first mechanism to turn them into a fungible commodity. Um, our first and largest investor was a BlackRock fund formed by the chief investment officer. Uh, that gives you an indication of the institutional interest in diamonds because they're uncorrelated to absolutely everything else that they hold. So that that sort of leads me to the next point. Um, you know, ob obviously you are bullish diamonds, uh, but you know, speak a little bit about the historical. I'm not even sure how you figure out historical returns of an asset class like this. But maybe let's start with there. How how do you figure out? Because 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 the selling point to a BlackRock is is like you just said not correlated and historical you know hist good historical returns obviously uh compared to you know other 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 you know gas classes equities other metals whatever um how do you even figure out historical returns on this and and what are they so the commodity didn't exist what's interesting about the commodity though is that it contains the entire yield curve of diamonds so what with our automated market making and we do statistical sampling we buy literally every possible combination of carat weight, color, and clarity within a very large range. About We bid on about 94% of all varieties of diamonds. So we know if we look at the history of wholesale diamonds, we can approximate the return and correlations of the diamond commodity if it existed back then. So the chart I'm showing now uh, shows that wholesale price history over the last 10 years. And we're just looking at, at gold versus uh, diamonds versus gold and silver. This is after the breakup of De Beers. You'll notice purple line is diamonds, very low volatility compared to gold and silver. Over the last 10 years, diamonds had the same performance as silver with a fraction of the volatility. Gold since 2018 has risen dramatically. Since we announced the diamond commodity, we do have a reliable price index. And this is a chart that you can see behind me on the screen. 
Uh, but this is diamonds relative to the S&P 500, which is the white line, and gold, which is the yellow line. This is over the last 12 months. So diamonds have actually nearly matched the return of the S&P 500, again, with less volatility, whereas gold has lost 10%. So diamonds are on an absolute uh, tear right now. Yeah, why, why might that be? Well, a big part of it is because the commodity is available. Uh, all of the diamond vendors, obviously, they're well aware of our product that we've now unlocked investors as a completely new demand in the diamond industry. That demand, they know, is going to go through several inflection points. We already have approval for the futures on CME. We've already filed the ETF in partnership with the NYSE to list on NYSE ARCA. That'll take a while to get approved, but all of this demand from the spot commodity, the futures, the options, the ETF, all of that is completely new demand on a very, very constrained supply of diamonds. So our expectation is for the next seven years, as institutions build positions from absolutely zero, that diamonds continue to grow very, very significantly. So is, is the institutional demand already there or you have to go out and drum it up? It's, well, we have an asset that we have a price history of correlation, which is uncorrelated to absolutely everything. And as a hard asset, it's a store of wealth that's a natural hedge against inflation. And we speak to pensions and endowments and huge asset managers every day. They're all concerned about inflation and the diminishing of their returns on these massive portfolios. Okay. Diamonds are the only natural resource at 1.2 trillion that's large enough that it can accommodate uh, institutional portfolios. Uh, last question for you, Cormac. How exactly does the blockchain factor into all this? So inside each coin, there's actually a wireless computer chip. Okay. Which you can see from the back. That computer chip does three interesting things. Number one, it provides auditing. So BlackRock owns this. It's at uh, JP Morgan's vault. They can audit it instantly. It also provides authentication. So you can use your cell phone you can challenge the chip there's also the optical pattern which you can see um, to authenticate this but most importantly that chip stores a blockchain token so while this commodity is sitting in the vault that brings jp morgan or anybody else you and i can trade that token and that token is essentially a vault receipt and it's an erc20 fungible standardized token, which means it's like a Bitcoin with a real asset behind it that you can trade instantly and globally using your existing wallets and exchanges. This is um, incredibly interesting. You know, I, I don't know a lot about this space. Uh, I have to admit, I'm skeptical. <laughs> I've never heard of diamond as an, diamonds as an asset before last week. Um, you know, at least not an asset with things like an index and, you know, uh, spot price, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, you know, obviously people have diamonds that, that they, you know, that can be sold, you know, to any, any, any jeweler, but this is, 
something entirely different. Um, so uh, I commend you for you know trying to you know bring it to the capital markets. Um, I, I you know I I do I do hope it works. Uh, I'm interested in the blockchain aspects of this, though that still remains a little fuzzy to me, to be honest. But but. The whole thing seems interesting. You're basically building up a market from scratch. Uh, uh, and and I, I think that's incredibly interesting. So uh, Cormac Kenny is the founder and CEO of Diamond Standard. Um, I think we all learned a little bit today about diamonds. Uh, I did. Uh, I have a lot more to learn, I think. Um, but we'll we'll, we'll uh, be looking forward to, to keeping tabs uh, on how this, you know, if we end up, if we, you know, diamond futures and diamond ETFs and ETNs and all sorts of financial products that are backed by diamonds. Uh, I'm here for it. So, so, so thanks for uh, coming on today, Cormac and uh, looking forward to see how the, how this market progresses down the line. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All that being said, please remember all the information from our show is meant to be used as informational purposes, not for investing or trading advice. Thanks to my guests today, Cormac Kinney and CC Lagator. Get access to actionable news and market research with all the information you need to invest smarter and profit faster. Start your free trial today at pro.benzinga.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.